Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nomenclature. I'm Brandon Henderson. I'm very excited to have you here today. My guest is Mike Kaplan. He chose the word equilibrium to discuss. Mike, like every one of my guests on this podcast, is a stand-up comedian. He is a particularly hilarious stand-up comedian, in my opinion. Um, he has been on Letterman and Conan and a thousand other places, and he has five comedy albums. Um, his latest comedy album is called AKA. It came out in 2020, and you should check that out. Um, had uh, a very insightful conversation, at least for me, with Mike, um, just a good human being, as well as a hilarious person. And my wife is listening to Taylor Swift very loudly in the background as an aside. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Nomenclature. Um, this was recorded uh, before the inauguration of Joe Biden. I am recording this introduction before the inauguration of Joe Biden. Hopefully we still have a country in existence by the time this is put out into the world. And, uh, you know, if not, um, you know, good luck. But uh, I love you all. And please enjoy this episode of Nomenclature with my very special guest, Mike Kaplan. Boston, you in New York? Where you at? I'm in New York. I've lived in Brooklyn since about 2008, and that is where I am. Fantastic! And uh, Brooklyn is alive and, and kicking. It's it hasn't completely shut down or sunk into the ocean, like uh, rumors are, are telling us. Oh, sure. I mean, hard to tell. Uh, my my apartment's <laughs> still here, so uh, I I go out of it, uh, you know, sparingly. But uh, when I go out, there are there are people. It does seem that there are businesses open. I I go into the co-op for food. I go into the park for walking, and uh, I do I do little else outside the home currently. That uh, that sounds exciting. It sounds about right. Um, I wish I just went to walking and marketplace types of places, um, but I have eight thousand children, so. They make mm. me go to more places. Um, but, you know, we're all staying alive so far. Um, who knows? I'm not sure if one dropped off if I would know for a while. I mean, eventually I would figure it out, but I don't think right away it would be obvious. It would take a minute. Sure. Now, I understand from this that you have more than, my guess is more than two children. So is <laughs> that's right. What is, is the <laughs> approximate number? So I like, I like that uh, a million children uh, starts at three. Mm -hmm. um, I have five children. Mm. Um, so this was a, uh, a combination scenario where I have three from a previous marriage and my wife uh, now has two from a previous marriage. And we knew that going in and we still combined the families. And so now we have five. That that sounds very reasonable. <laughs> does it? I don't think it does. There are quite a few times um, throughout the week where it feels extremely unreasonable. Oh, um, well, I mean, uh, I guess I just mean that the math checks out. Oh, 
Yeah, it does check out. I've I've counted on numerous occasions and every time it equals five. So. I mean, something that I've heard, I, I have zero children, which I, I know that there's probably like the greatest difference in in lifestyle shift from zero to one compared to one to two or two to three or even three to five. That's my guess. Would you say, does that, does that bear out? Or would you say that, oh no, my life was very similar when I had zero children to when I had one child and now it's completely different. Uh, there is a significant shift from zero to one for sure. Um, you know, your sense of what tired is gets, Mm -hmm. uh, completely recalibrated, but, um, these jackasses who say, you know, there's no, you know, once you hit three, there's no difference. Um, that's, that's a bold faced lie. It's no different if you are a neglectful parent for sure. I would, I would agree with that statement, but outside Ah, of that, that, it is quite different. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Hey, have as many kids as you want. If you don't pay attention to how they turn out or what they're doing or whether the, the quantity and quality of their life. That's exactly right. You know, there's like this, there's like a business uh, concept where a manager has diminishing returns of performance if they oversee more than like seven or eight people. Mm. And you just, you just can't, and that's a manager of adults, not of small children, of course. But there's a certain point where you just start getting worse because you just can't, you know, the physics and, and whatnot, you can't be in all these places at once doing multiple things. Ooh, but and, is yeah. there isn't there the the hope the dream is I mean or even the the practical reality like historically and maybe still to this day is that if you, you maybe you could space them out time them out there could be some uh, methodology by which the once you raise the first one or a couple uh, so good that then they actually become uh, a help as opposed to a hindrance uh, moving forward with the, like they at a certain point they just raise themselves not I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. the, the thing to shoot for but a thing that right. often happens I, I do think that that I mean is certainly something to try to achieve and not to be you know gender normative or anything, but I have found that girls are better at that, um, you know, helping with, um, with smaller siblings than boys. And that's just in my own personal microcosm. But um, uh, also, they are still, you know, children up to a a point, I think it's 18. Um, Ah. And so even they can help with certain things, right? You can, I, I think that's true. You can mitigate, you can be like, hey, you're gonna you wash dishes now and now i don't have to do that and you're gonna you know clean the toilets now so i don't have to do that so there are certain things however um you know there are a thousand times more dishes than there used to be and Mm. uh, a thousand times more you know bathroom uh you know activities than there used to be and so things also escalate and children aren't always great at keeping on top of things so you just say uh you know to hell with it i'm just going to do it now because you're an impatient, exhausted person that, uh, you know, doesn't want to teach anyone. It's, you know, sometimes it's too much, it's more work than you feel like it's worth sometimes as opposed to just doing it yourself, which is probably the defeatist way of approaching parenting. But, uh, well, I appreciate your sharing that with me. It, uh, it makes me feel, uh, you know, like I, I'm sure that there's uh there are rewards and joys i i'm familiar with with the concept i have you know young 
young relatives that aren't my children. Yes. Uh, they're, they're delights in many ways. And uh, it's also, it's nice to, here's a, a an analogy that I don't know if it's perfect, but it's present in my experience. Yesterday, uh, I received in the mail, um, I live with my girlfriend and we just got uh, two Oculus virtual reality headsets. And Fantastic. Started playing around with them. And, you know, one of the first things you're holding these like things that become, you know, your hands in the virtual world. These, yeah. you, there's a few buttons and joysticks and, you know, we're training to use them. And then they'll have, there'll be an image of a hand sometimes like, oh, so this is how you use, and I was like, oh, look what I can do with my hand, with my virtual, with my ghost hand, I can pick up ghost stuff. And so that was yesterday. And I found myself this morning, like looking in the mirror uh, in the regular non-virtual bathroom, uh, you know, simulation mm -hmm. notwithstanding. Uh, th I was looking at the hands that I have had as far as I know my whole life. And I'm like, look what I can do with these hands. Like, this is amazing. So I feel like you have presented to me, you know, like a ghost reality where I'm, I, I was, you know, just sunk into it. But I was like, oh my God, like I, I, I do enjoy like doing the dishes to have the dishes be done when the dishes are done. And there are with just me and my girlfriend dishes every day. We do yep. dishes. They, they, they exist every day. So they're done pretty much every day. Uh, and so I'm like, oh my God, imagine all of these other ghost dishes to do and ghost <laughs> things to take care of. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is I, ooh, my, my body, my life, my near empty apartment. Uh, it's, it's also kind of like uh, there's an old I th I th maybe it's many cultures joke, but I've heard it as a, a Jewish joke uh, mm -hmm. from my culture of Judaism, where uh, I think it's like a guy. Let, let's say to be this will also be a gender normative joke. It was written long ago when things were still sexist and um, sure and and, uh, and heterosexist and you know. Uh, so yeah, thank God was... we got rid of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So long, long ago, a man lived with his family, his wife and children, and uh, found that the house was noisy and went to the rabbi. And the rabbi said, do you have a, like uh, chickens? And he's like, yeah, he's like, bring them in the house. And he's like, OK, just do what I say. Uh, I, I don't see how that's going to help. Just do it. And uh, and so he brings chickens into the house, comes back next week. He's like, it's actually noisier. And he's like, okay, do you have a cow? And he brings, every week he comes back. And he's like, yeah, bring a cow in, bring the dog in, bring all the things in. And then eventually he's like, this is really, I mean, cacophonous. And then eventually the rabbi is like, now take all those animals out of the house. And he did. And he's like, wow, peace and quiet with just the exact thing that I started with. So that's, uh, yes. thank you for, you, you've been in this way, my rabbi. Uh, you're welcome. I, uh, I'm glad to have been able to do it. I, uh, I do think that's true. And I do think that that's why, you know, people have like a, uh, so many kids and then they grow up and they move out and then suddenly, um, it seems empty and lonely and, and then they get divorced when they're 65 because they have nothing in common, not to take the, uh, the terrible perspective here, but, but, uh, but yes, I think that that's very, very true. And we do, you know, I share custody with my, uh, my ex-wife with my kids. So we do have like you know, a, a week where it's just two kids instead of five. And that is 100% the truth. You know, it's also, you know, sad. And because, uh, you know, I, I like yeah. being around my children, despite the insanity of it all. But uh, I think that's very, very true. Um, I, uh, and speaking of, of Judaism, I was going to ask, so I, I have, um, I just got a tattoo uh, last night of, uh, of, of Lenny Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, 
which is hilarious, mostly just because, you know, he was this obviously epic, um, influential comedian, and I am uh, not in any way, shape, or form. So it's the maybe the funniest joke I'll ever tell in my life is having that tattoo on me. And then I have I have like bands on on my, one of my arms, just black bands, which a, a friend of mine told me he thought f- was to fill in. You know this this word? I do. Um, which I had never heard before, and um, clearly it's not. Um, well, I don't know if clearly or not, but it is not. It's, it is meant to just sort of symbolize my children. And um, I was going to ask him uh, if, like, you know, if I got one more sort of like, you know, Jewish reference esque type tattoo, if I could be like Gentile light going forward. Ah. So I, I'm curious if I approach this with him, if you think he'll be cool with it, or uh, I don't know if one speaks f- for all, but uh, uh, or if I have to get like a like a like a group, and then you guys vote on it, and then let me know. I don't know what what privileges Gentile Light would get me, but I'm just I, curious. I hear you. I I'm honored that you are asking me this uh, joke mm-hmm. question, and uh, and or sincere. I don't know. We don't know each other well, but uh, so. Uh, the things that I'll the things that spring to mind. Number one, I will say that I do not speak for all Jews. Okay. Uh, and I bet that I probably don't even speak for most Jews. I mm-hmm. I hardly speak for one Jew. Uh, but I, I can I, I think I speak for approximately one Jew. And then if others are like, yeah, yeah I sign on to that as well. F- fair. Uh, so I do think you would need some sort of quorum uh have you heard of a minion i i i know what a quorum is because i was i was raised mormon and we fancy ourselves um uh as this is a whole thing we we fancy ourselves as members of the tribes of israel and so we 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 have lots of this language and we also address people as gentiles which is hilarious Uh, i am no longer in any way shape or form an, an orthodox or believing Mormon, but uh, culturally, it's it's in the it's in the bloodstream. But yes, I'm I'm familiar with quorums. Uh, minion, not so much. Okay, well, first, culturally, it seems like uh, having all the children that you do, uh, you're still you're still in the game. <laughs> I'm um, sta- I'm taking swings. And uh, my uh, my girlfriend's parents were Mormon when they had her, uh, and wow. so I think she is by some technical measure Mormon. Uh, though also not specifically practicing the Mormon faith, though she does have. Uh, some relatives, parts of her family, who are some of the nicest people. I mean, there's mm-hmm. it's as, as you may as you may also imagine and know from experience and uh, living in the world. Like Mormons are not a monolith, uh, a more monolith, if you wish, uh, and Jews are not a monolith, su- such that I cannot speak for them slash us all. Like I don't even feel comfortable saying us all because they're. Mm-hmm. Do you know this old joke-ish thing? Uh, said that however jewish you are like for the people who are more jewish than you like they are potentially like fundamentalists and for anyone who is less jewish than you they are not even jewish so to many jews to the most jewish jews uh i mean there's certainly that is a joke and there's many people that be like is your mother jewish then you're jewish um And my mother is Jewish and her mother was Jewish. As far as I know, that goes all the way back to, uh, I guess, Abraham must have been uh, my great, 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 so forth, grandmother. Um, 
because I wonder Abraham, if Abraham was the first Jew, ooh, this is, this is kind of, uh, and I'm sorry to say it like this, juicy, but I really mean it that. There's no uh, other way to say it, I don't think at this point. Oh yeah, it's officially like a, I mean, it, it seems like a chicken egg thing. Like it's it maybe a trick paradox, but if the idea is that you're not Jewish unless uh, your mother is Jewish, then how, what about the first Jew, which normally for chicken and egg, we can't go like, well, you gotta keep going back infinitely to dinosaurs or what have you. But uh, but this one was like Abraham. Uh, if Abraham was the first Jew, didn't have a Jewish mother. Uh, so that's a pretty, a, a pretty exciting thought to have had that uh, I think doesn't necessarily help us live any better necessarily but it is uh this this is the way of our people if you want to be a gentile light um then let there be gentile light i say i mean the the final point to your question is are you familiar with like the the things about jews and tattoos that there's like a classic i think i think i've learned from people who are more jewish than me that this is a slight misconception or misinterpretation that you would not be allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery if you have tattoos uh, that you that you got, you know, sort of throughout your life that weren't, uh, unfortunately, like the 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 main exception to those uh, are the ones that were uh, forcibly applied in the Holocaust. Uh, so your 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 Gentile like question has uh, immediately uh, brought me down a dark rabbit hole. But uh, this is all to say there are many Jews that I think would, if you go seeking a minion, which is 10, a group of 10 uh, Jews who who gather together to do official things, that is the limit. You haven't heard of a minion. And the only amount more Jewish I am than you is I have heard of one. I know what it technically is. I don't know exactly what they're for. But I do think if you could gather together a minion of 10 uh, people who know what a minion is and what it's for, then they could tell you uh, whether or not your tattoo plan uh, holds any water. Okay. Well, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm making a list of, of people right now. So I will, I will keep you updated and let you know what they tell me. Um, I, uh, I also, uh, I, I'm glad to, to learn about Minion. I, I, I very much enjoy learning all the sort of nuances of, of all kinds of religions. I think maybe it's because uh, I was so sort of inundated by my own for such a long time. I'm very fascinated by uh, different quirks and, and ideas and things and which, uh, ways in which things work in different places. Um, I did the whole like more of a mission thing and everything. So I was very, very into it for a long Where'd time. Where'd you go? Um, where they send the best uh, missionaries, Tallahassee. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Um, and did you have, did you meet with uh, some measure of success? Did you, what were, what were the best things that happened? Like, or di did you, did you convince anyone? Did you get anyone? Did you convert anyone? Uh, I, I, or go? I got, I got some people. Um, I did, um, you know, the South, as you can imagine, is not super, super friendly to, to the Mormons, um, all the time. They, uh, they see it as a sort of a strange thing We're we're, we're definitely in that, the J dub, the Jehovah's witness camp, you mm. know, the sort of odd fellows walking around in ties, knocking on your door, trying to give you reading material. Um, but some measure of success and people, uh, you know, converted and came uh, into the church, uh, almost all of which have since left again. Um, I, I enjoyed my time to a certain extent there. It was pretty, 
pretty crazy. Spent a lot of time talking to, uh, you know, a lot of like Baptist preachers that like had memorized the book of Habakkuk, you know, mm -hmm. like just deep, deep cuts of stuff. And my excuse was always like, hey, you just have the Bible. I've got the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. I got more reading to do than you do. I've got, you know, I've got to catch up. But uh, it was it was an eye opening experience. Some really cool people down there. I got fat, a lot of food. Mm -hmm. I ate, a, uh, ate squirrels. Um, but it was wild. But I, I also do not speak, I don't think, for uh, any Mormons whatsoever. They would be very angry if I tried, especially at this point. Uh, they also do not like tattoos. Um, but that being said, uh, we should talk about some, some other words besides sure. Mormon and Jew, if you're open to it. Um, oh, I am. And I... This has all been, uh, you know, a bonus. I'll teach you one more Jewish word if you, if you wish before we get started. Well, I do. I mean, you're like, let's learn new words. Let's get into different words. Like, here's one more. Have you heard the word dayenu? No, I have not. Dayenu, like, uh, like e a u spelling. Uh, the so the way it it is Hebrew. Uh, if I if I understand correctly, so it's written out in. Uh, transliterated in English, usually as D-A-Y-E-N-U. Okay. Dayenu. And uh, essentially, it's basically, you've heard the dreidel song. Uh, that's like our big hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, this, I think that to me at least, I mean, maybe if you ask different Jews, you might get different answers. But Dayenu is like, uh, not the B side of it, but it's like, the, it's and it's not even a close second, but it is, I'd say... Uh, you know, not as deep a cut for most Jews, a deeper cut for non-Jews, but like the second most popular song that I know from the Jewish faith and culture. Um, yes. And the meaning of it is essentially like, if I, I, I hope that I do this justice because I recently learned that I wasn't getting it all exactly right. But so I, the way that I used to say it, I said it, a friend of mine, Zach, is, uh, was raised by a woman who's a rabbi. So his mother's a rabbi. He learned a lot more about Judaism. I'm learning more about him. So I was talking to him about how, oh yeah, Dayanu, it essentially means like, even if this were it, even if like in any situation, uh, like what I didn't get anything further, further along in my, like in my career, in my relationship, in my life, in my, it would be enough. Dayenu, it would be, this would be enough. Like I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful Kuna for Matata. all that has happened. And, and then Zach, my friend said to me, he's like, that's not even actually all of it. It's that, but it's even the smallest piece of anything that has happened or that did happen or that, you know, has been a part of, you know, of this life existence, all things, uh, even a, the smallest piece of it, if that was all that happened, then that would have been enough. And I was like, oh, wow. So it seems to me that even with Dayenu, even the concept of it, I only had the smallest piece of it. And to me, that was enough. So uh, the point that I, of my bringing it up now, which I'm glad to remember, is uh, I thought that, uh, here, here's the thing, like you, you reached out to me and said, I have this podcast where we discuss 
uh, a word. And so I was like, like prepared for the entire podcast. Like if that was all we did, that would have been enough. And so everything that wasn't that, all that has been up till now, like even if we never got to the word, then that would be enough. So this is the concept of Dianu sort of like manifesting itself uh, like, like the Hydra, but without even chopping off any of the heads, just growing more and more heads, or as the Jews call the Hydra, the Hydra. And uh, that, that'll do it. But uh, so that's, the point is, I'm grateful for all the conversation we've had thus far and for all that we're about to get into. So let's do it. This, uh, without a doubt, uh, has been uh, maybe the best podcast so far. Not to set it up for failure, <laughs> but I have enjoyed this intensely. Same. And uh, uh, I think we're just going to get even crazier because I, I discovered something and I'm curious to see if you, you did this on purpose or not. But I'm very excited to get into some of this stuff, and you will see why momentarily. But I appreciate um, the the uh, you know the definitions and the the explanation of Dianu and and uh, the, the roundabout compliment to to this so far. So I also want to echo that idea. Um, but first, before you you chose the word equilibrium, which we will get into as your word of the day. But before we get into that, what I always like to do is do a little bit of uh, research on my guest's name mm. and discuss that first. So I will just, you know, choose, uh, you know, first or last, depending on what seems more interesting to me. And I, I went with the last name. I hope that's cool with you. It's very and, cool. Um, partly also because I just had uh, a Michael on and we jumped into that one um, literally last night. So, um, what do you know about your last name? Are you a family where it's like, hey, this is the you know history of our family name and and you know all the details and your great great something or other did this thing like like big family discussions? It sounds like maybe there's at least some that was going on. Uh, I I know a good amount about like the people of my family, and I would say that the name Kaplan has not been expressly discussed. Uh, as part of my learning about my family history, my understanding of where it comes from is that it, uh, I think, go back far enough and there must be a chaplain uh, that, you know, often last names are, uh, you know, associated with professions, you know, that the, the family, the family business. So, uh, which now, you know, I'm not, I'm not a uh, technically speaking, uh, I'm uh, I didn't go to divinity school. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister, though. I do uh, under ordinary circumstances for the past 18 years, get up on stage and, uh, you know, and preach, testify, uh, sure. sermonize, uh, share, share things from my experience. Uh, in a, I have a friend who is a pastor, uh, who is a minister who I was actually just talking to yesterday, and she uh, and she also used to be a comedian, and we we have a good time talking about the the very the similarities between the subcultures of comedian and minister. Uh, there's there's a lot of similarity, so I do think that <laughs> while I certainly am not this the thing I think that I'm about to say a fun thing, uh, I'm not a chaplain in the letter of the law. I am in some ways a chaplain in the spirit of it, though also the letter of the law of the chaplain is the spirit and also the letters of my name are almost the letters of chaplain. So uh, 
I hope now that in your research, you found out that Chaplin is somehow connected to this. If not, then we had a bunch of fun for nothing. <laughs> oh, it's not for nothing. I, you are completely correct. It's an old, it's an old name too. Um, and you are hundred percent correct that it is uh, in reference to, uh, so it, it, it's actually more specific even than just generally Chaplin. So first of all, it's a fourth century uh, name or word and it originally, before it even became a surname, it was uh, an office that was given to, to persons appointed to watch over the sacred cloak of St. Martin of Tours, hmm. which is a specific place. So it was not just chaplain, but specific to that place. Hmm. Uh, way back in like 380, you know, 380 something AD. So it's old, um, but it's, you know, Latin based, which is not necessarily the most uncommon thing in the world. Uh, but then it sort of branched off into German and Yiddish and English and French and Polish. Uh, different, uh, you know, interpretations of, of that word became surnames. There's also a Turkish word, Kaplan, and it just means tiger, just as oh. an F FYI. I, I like that. And I'll also jump in and say that uh, I believe my family going back on the Kaplan side, at least there is some Polish there to the point that uh, in second grade, I believe we all had to research. Uh, we were assigned like to come in with uh, ask our parents, like, where are we from? Uh, and then do a research paper or something, you know, a second grade research paper on where we came from. Almost everybody came back and was like, like so much of the class was like, we're Russian, mostly, mostly Russian, a lot of Russia. And so the teacher was like, okay, let's see, what else do you got? And so I, I remember asking, I'm like, what do, if we're not Russian, what else is there? And I was told Polish. And then for many years, up until I think this year, I've been talking to my mom a lot more this year. Uh, we had a conversation where she was like, remember when you just chose Poland uh, randomly? Uh, because they told you that you couldn't do Russia. And I was like, no, I, I asked, I thought that, and she's like, but we don't have any Polish in our family. And I was like, then is it possible it was dad's side? And she was like, oh yeah, I guess so. So, uh, my understanding is that one of my great grandparents, at least was born in Poland, uh, perhaps when it was occupied by Russia, but, uh, all that said, glad to know, uh, that Kaplan also means tiger. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and, and it's also, yeah, you've got sort of a, a two, like a fork here too, to um, not just the, the, the Polish and whatever, but to the, the sort of chaplain concept, you've got two sides to it. You've got the, the St. Martin thing on one hand, and then, you know, when it sort of got, uh, um, uh, had the sort of like, uh, you know, uh, Jewish influence, uh, Ashkenazic, uh, it's related to, it's actually a translation of Cohen. And uh, also it would indicate uh, descent from a priestly lineage. So, uh, you know, an, an ironic priesthood connection. So you have the, 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 you know, sort of general chaplain idea, the St. Martin of Tours thing. And then you've also got the, uh, Jewish lineage, uh, for uh, also sort of that chaplain concept on the other end. So there's like those, those two prongs coming back and forth, which is interesting. Um, but also makes sense since, you know, chaplain and such. Um, but I, bring that up partly um, to sort of jump into, well, let, let's, let's jump into equilibrium and I want to sort of circle back around. So equilibrium, tell me first, 
why you chose this word specifically. Sure. Uh, I also, just briefly before I start, uh, I thought after I selected that word and you said that would be a good one, I was like, ooh, it'd be also fun to do, I don't know if you have done nomenclature uh, as a word itself. Uh, I don't know if that was like the pilot episode or if it's going to be the final episode, but uh, I do like, you know, self-referential things, meta things, things within things, but uh, I do, I'm happy, happy to cover uh, <laughs> equilibrium. The reason I think, uh, I was trying to think of a word that I think that like has some sort of, you know, meaning, meaningfulness to me and also seems like a fun word, you know, like other, I was like, what are, what are things I like? I'm like, I like, uh, peace and kindness and, uh, you know, and perhaps these would be, you know, great words to delve into as well. But, uh, so I guess historically. I, I would say that I, in historically in my own life, I would cons have considered myself for many years and now perhaps still a recovering or, you know, I, I'm trying, in what I'm trying to do now, it's sort of uh, manifesting. Uh, let's say the word completist, a maximizer. Uh, like to the idea of to maximize, like I wanna take in all that I can uh, of like the beautiful art in the world of comedy and music and podcasts and books and movies and sunsets and friendships. You know, I want to connect with uh, as many people that I can in a meaningful way. Uh, at one point in my life, I was uh, an open relationship person, sort of under the auspices of uh, maximizing, like what if there's so many people to potentially connect with in so many ways that I didn't want to limit. Uh, and the idea, like the, the woman who I'm with now, my, my girlfriend of the past almost five years now, uh, who I, is, it's the longest relationship. It is the, the uh, maximum length relationship uh, that I've had. I mean, it, it's not at its maximum length yet. It continues to grow and I'm very grateful for it. And I want it to continue to grow. And also now I understand that within it, uh, I, I can also have like greater and greater or deeper and deeper experiences there within uh, that it's not, I mean, and I'm still like, who, whatever relationship structure uh, you want, whoever you are, uh, whether monogamous, polyamorous, open in other ways, uh, single, you know, what, whatever your identity and however you like to, uh, however you want to live, I hope you get to live the way that you want and need and deserve to live. And so one of the things that my, my girlfriend helped me uh, like continue, learn and continue to learn is that uh, like her, where I, if the word for me was maximizing, the word for her was balance. Uh, that, and I, I like in these past many months of pandemic, uh, I, I've been busier than, than a lot of other times in my life, uh, partially because I was like, oh, wow, like I can, like I had an album come out in 20, in May, 2020 and it, leading up to it, uh, I was doing a lot of podcasts and shows and interviews to spread the word, to promote, to get the, I was like, I love this. I, I love the album that I made and I want everyone uh, who might also love it to know about it. And so some days I was doing five podcasts or other, you know, and that seems like a lot, 
but also, you know, uh, for a person who doesn't, I don't work a nine to five job. Uh, it sounds like when somebody's like, I go to work for n nine hours or eight hours. I was like, that sounds like a lot. So I'm like, I can do five podcasts in a day. That's my job. Even though when I was doing stand up, it's like, oh, if I have maybe one show a night, two, three, four, like it could be five, five shows a night is a lot. And even those five shows would probably be, you know, 10 minute sets, 20, 30, not five hour sets in a night, uh, though that has. Uh, I don't actually don't think that has happened. So the idea is uh, that I'm hopefully coming to here uh, another uh, concept from uh, religion, spirituality, uh, the Sabbath. I realized that uh, while I feel like maybe this is not even necessarily a religious thing, or perhaps it's the religion of capitalism and achievement and accomplishment and, you know, Western uh, society, like the the idea that, you know, like Americans don't take as many vacations as uh, even when they uh, are offered them as many vacation days as like Europeans do, for example, is a thing that I think I've heard. And uh, but it's so valuable. And I'm also like that, like I've like when when doing comedy, like most nights of the week, uh, I would be going out and doing comedy over the past 18 years. And I would be traveling multiple times a month. And sometimes, and only more recently have I been like, oh, a night off is also a valuable thing, as opposed to in the beginning when it's like, well, you got to get out there and got to do it and do it. You know, like, because if you're not doing it, then you're not being it. Like, if you're not writing, then you're not a writer. If you're not doing comedy, then you're not a comedian. Now I'm like, oh, I've got enough stored up, like even not doing it live for most of the nights of the past year. Uh, I, I'm i like, I'm still a comedian. And also I'm a human and I'm, you know, being alive and helping other people uh, remain alive by not going out and doing comedy right now. So this is all to say that during the pandemic, I some months ago, I realized that uh, I was at least scheduling something many days, but then like one day I didn't have anything scheduled. And I was like, this is amazing. This like to not not that I didn't not that I just did nothing all day. Like I, I caught up on some emails. I did I did whatever arose in the day that I wanted to do, uh, you know, doing some work, some reading, some resting, some, you know, communing with my girlfriend or a phone call with a friend or whatever it was, but to not have something on the schedule, what I would first call up a, a planned unplanned day to plan uh, no plan, uh, to take the plan out of Kaplan uh, and just leave Ka, which I believe uh, I learned in fourth grade is uh, one of the the spirit, uh, uh, one of the spirits or souls in ancient Egyptian mythology, and perhaps even more than that. But uh, the it was it, it sounds so strange when uh, like to me, like to my past self to be like, did you know that you could just not schedule things for one day and that you'll really value that and appreciate it and be grateful for it? And I was like, hey, does anyone have any has anyone ever thought about this like historically throughout, uh, you know, the history of uh, religion, culture and uh, humanity, the idea of taking one day off a week or even two, uh, be it the secular weekend or the, uh, you know, the Sabbath of any particular faith tradition and so that was a way of uh feeling peace uh at a time when i'd been like going 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 that balancing out the going which when i would perform 
uh, live. Like I would, I would love traveling away and I would love returning home. I loved those wheels both working like the, the in-breath and the out-breath, you know, like it, it's, it's valuable, uh, to have these, uh, these sort of what seems like, you know, what, what's your favorite? Do you love breathing in or breathing out? Like, what's your favorite? Do you love uh, going to somewhere new or returning to somewhere home and secure and comfortable? I'm like, both of these things are valuable. And so it was something that was not, I, I mean, I guess I will say lacking in my life was the, the flip side to going, going, going all the time was uh, stopping at least once or pausing or sitting or resting like i think there's a, a a zen koan i like that's a don't just do something sit there and that has such beautiful intense meaning and resonance to me that i never thought about in terms of this specific context before but it's uh it's kind of perfect for it that there's so many other things I could say about equilibrium that I'll, I'll happily get into, but I want to also be aware of the uh, the equilibrium of the listening and talking, the flow back and forth between you and me. So I'll say that's that's a fine place to start. That uh, establishing some kind of equilibrium of like my own uh, mental and physical and emotional and spiritual like comings and goings in my life has been something that I've been working on and, uh, and continue to do. Well, what is, uh, amazing about this and very, very, very on the nose about this. And I, I really want to know if this came into your, uh, consciousness as you were choosing this. So everything that you're talking about with this, you know, state of balance, um, when it comes to equilibrium. So, you know, first of all, you know, we're talking a, a 16th century word, but there are a lot of different interpretations or not. I shouldn't say a lot of different interpretations. There are a couple of different categories rather. They're all very similar. Um, but I, I think it speaks to a little bit what you're saying. So you have just like this general idea of balance and um, have, having like no net change, sort of having the push and pull be equal. Um, that can be mental balance, but you also have like the chemistry version of it where, uh, you know, this, the state of a reaction in which the rates of the forward and reverse reactions are the same. You have the physics uh, sort of definition of it, which is the state of a body at rest or in uniform motion in which the resultant of all forces on it is zero. There's all these sort of slightly different uh, categories of exactly what you're, you're saying. Um, but getting even further into it, uh, you know, the, the basis for the word itself comes from, uh, you know, Latin again, but you've got uh, the word equus, which is equal, and you have libra, a balanced pair of scales. Uh, and I discovered through a quick, uh, creepy uh, Google search, <laughs> you, sir, are a libra. Uh, that. What, what if I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, but I, I did not know that the Lieber in equilibrium was the scales of balance. But of course, uh, of course, it, of course, a thing that's true makes sense after you learn it. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that is, that is beautiful. That's perfect. So I love this sort of coming to, you know, uh, at whatever level you want to buy into the whole uh, Zodiac thing. But I love this sort of coming to uh, what seems to be, from that perspective, uh, Mike Kaplan's natural state. 
uh, <laughs> during the last year and figuring out that, uh, you know, that uh, balancing that push and that pull, the, the breathing in and the breathing out and uh, getting more in, in sync with that sort of stuff, I thought was uh, very kind of lovely and, and beautiful that that was chosen. Um, and that that's built right into the etymology of the word itself that you chose. That that really is something. I'll I'll also say this. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, Rini, is uh, wonderful and learns has has helped me learn so many things, and she has learned so many things. Uh, and one of the things that she learned years ago was she learned a lot about uh, you know uh, astrology, and to the point that uh, she like she uh the thing that you know so there's a lot of people who put a lot of stock in astrology mm. and my girlfriend knows so much about it that a thing that sh uh she'll she'll that comes up a lot when we talk about it is that every person has within them uh you know like that obviously the if you know that you you know your sun sign that you know there's also a moon sign there's rising things there's things in each of these various houses so that uh, when the, the the classic, I think, first, you know, the first year of philosophy, uh, college student objection to astrology is there aren't just 12 different types of people. And if you're born in one month, it doesn't mean you're the same as everybody else who was born in that month. So checkmate. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, but there's all these other aspects too. exactly, you know, the the time and the place and the year and the things that ultimately uh, I realized in a way uh science and astrology have uh either the same goals or make the same claims in a way that like if you knew where every molecule was in the universe then you could pro and which direction it was going if you could know everything about the universe in one moment that physically speaking or even not even the whole thing just a part of it if you're like i know where this ball is rolling and i know how gravity works and so i know i can predict uh, with some accuracy where it's going to be in one second or in three seconds and then if there's other things that you didn't know but the more things that you know about where things are and where they were uh then you can make predictions about what will be and i feel like astrologically they're like okay so if we know where the stars were where everything in the universe was and where you were like it it's kind of it's making similar claims and at a certain point you know i don't know everything about a science i don't know everything about astrology but uh to get to the thing that my girlfriend says which i like a lot which is that you know any for anyone who like thinks like i'm definitely i i'm this sign and i'm so so much this sign it makes complete sense to me like they're not looking at all the other signs and thinking like oh i'm definitely not that but she says like she could re do a uh, an astrological reading for anyone and tell them why they are any of the 12 signs right uh because uh to wrap that this point up i think like it, the things that you just said to me about balance and the word and the month that I uh, that I was born in, like it all makes sense and does click into place. And if anyone is listening, like I just want to encourage you not to be like, oh man, I wish I were a Libra so that balance could be important to me. You know, uh, it's it's something that like I don't own and Libras don't own. And like, if there are positive aspects of your sign, then wonderful. If they're, and if they match up with you or the, they inspire you to aspire to be that way, then wonderful. But, uh, oh man, 
I wish I were a, I wish I were a Virgo because then I could be this way, but too yeah. bad I was born in this month under this sign. And now I have to be the thing that I, I talk about sometimes with respect to my, I studied linguistics, uh, and the idea of linguistics is that we study language not to prescribe how people should speak, but to describe how people do speak. And if, if astrology or any, any map or any set of, you know, principles is used, uh, descriptively to be like, yeah, I, I've been learning a lot about myself and what I'm like and how I live and how I want to, like, that's valuable as opposed to being like, well, if it's this, then it must mean that even if it doesn't seem like it is true or accurate for me, it's what, it's what the map says. And it's like, well, look at the ground. Where are you? The ground is more accurate than the map. Yeah. Uh, and your insides are more accurate than uh, somebody else telling you about your outsides in a way that doesn't feel right about your insides. Uh, but to tie it back to equilibrium, it is important to look within and also uh, look without or without doesn't sound as right to look. It's it's important to take in things from the outside of yourself. And it's important to uh, examine things from the inside of yourself. And uh, not everyone will have the exact same, like the, the, the one other aspect of equilibrium that I wanted to bring up is like the image, imagine an image of scales that on one side has like, if the two sides have different materials on them, then it might not like one side might look lower than the other, or actually, what is it? No, one side, if they're equal, if they're balanced, then there could be more things on one side than there are on the other. So it'll look unbalanced, but it is balanced. And so I think about that with respect to like some conversations that I have, I do more of the talking, some conversations that I have, I do less of the talking. And, uh, it's about, I think every relationship, every podcast and every friendship and every, you know, every human connection, uh, it's important for, uh, that connection to sort of find its own equilibrium to, so that like, my friend Zach, who I mentioned earlier, we talk most days and we'll usually start with sort of like a uh, a friendly version of boxers circling each other. Like, how are you? What happened today? Is everything like to find out, does one of us have like a heavier, deeper, weightier need to put on our side of the scale, which will th or then uh, the other person will gladly, gratefully welcome and do more of the listening in that time. Uh, whereas, uh, if neither of us have the deepest, heaviest need, then we strive for equity, balance, fairness, you know, an equilibrium of give and take. I share a thing and, oh, what, what about, would you like to share a thing? And, uh, and so I think that once again, I, I've put a lot down on my side of the scale and toss it back it's to you. Perfect. Well, no, I, I, and that's the thing too, is we're so, I think, hyper-focused on the moment that we forget to think about the long-term balance or imbalance that may occur too. You know, you, you talk about like, okay, today, where does the conversation need to lean? Um, but over the course of say a month, uh, you know, in total, how did that balance out or in a year or in a lifetime, you know, again, going back to the beginning as a parent at the beginning, it's very one-sided, right? At the beginning, I am, completely responsible for this child's well-being and their ability to live and thrive and and uh, and grow and, and be healthy and not die and over time it, again 
yes, you can wash the dishes now. Yes, you can do this. And now you can go out into the world and you become a person. And eventually I'm going to be calling you because I'm lonely and you're going to not want to talk to me. Then I'm going to get old and I'm going to need your help. And it comes back around the other way a little bit. And so in total, you know, where's the balance as opposed to just today, you know, just today can sometimes feel very, very imbalanced. But if you consider a, a little bit of a longer term situation, I think it can it can start to, to write itself, so to speak, um, if you look at it in the right way. Sometimes, you know, you, you know, it's, it's completely on, on one side and, and uh, it is unfair and that is life, but um, things ebb and flow. Well, yeah, I think that uh, ultimately, like the idea of fairness really depends on your context, you know, like for some people, let's say, have have more belongings, money in our society, uh, status, well, you know, power, health, all kinds of things. And also, like, the more somebody has, then the more they will eventually lose when they stop existing. Uh, like, everything, you know, right. a life begins and a life ends. And, like, you know, there's a lot of ebbs and flows and, uh, uh, you know, dips and spikes in the middle. And it's not to say that everyone's life. I mean, it is to say that in some ways, everyone's life is equal in other ways. Uh, and hopefully we can help as many people if we are higher up at a time, then we can help other people also like there's a woman running for mayor of New York right now named Diane Morales. And a thing I saw on her website that I really liked, I like I like her candidacy a lot uh, was I don't know if this is her phrase or if it came from uh, so a, a quote from somewhere else, but the the goal of lifting others as we climb, that you know it doesn't have to be you know, the idea of that there. If you if you want to be a winner, there's got to be losers. Like if you right. if you are succeeding, like part of being a, a successful human is uh, is helping other people also be successful humans. And there was a Douglas Rushkoff tweet I saw that was something about. Uh, I'll paraphrasing is like in nature, like things don't grow infinitely. Like, uh, you know, a forest uh, doesn't just keep expanding and expanding. It's, you know, it sort of gets to a point and then continues to hopefully naturally, healthily foster new growth, like symbiotically. Uh, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a forest scientist, but uh, I do, I am a, I am a tweet scientist. Um, and I think the the point that you made about like in your own on the micro level of your life, you know, hopefully, you know, you uh, if you live a long life and then at the at the end of it, at some point, you might need help the same way that you helped your child as a baby. And then, you know, at some point, the that the balance shifts, as you said. And I think that because we only have a human life's length, each of us, however long that is, it's impossible for us to uh, have a direct experience of what the centuries long, generations and generations long, like history of our country is, uh, for example, or the world. And like, so the way that things are now, like where some people, you know, you hear things like, like, well, how come, <laughs> How come this person can say that thing, but I can't say that thing? That's not fair. Like, how come you can make fun of your own mother, but if I make fun of your mother, that's different. It should be fair and balanced. And it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, if you want to make fun of your mother or yourself, then that's the fairness of I can make fun of my mother or myself or my my group. Why, if, you know, if I can, 
we can all say thing we can we can all say theoretically whatever we want and but then the question is like what do we want to say and what do we want to do and i guess the the thing that i'm dancing around is like systemic racism uh having existed in our country uh since the the country began since the system uh got put into place and and continues to exist and there are people today who might say like i didn't do that right uh, like i you know like i didn't exist while people were enslaved so why should i you know it's unfair for me to have to do something now but uh I haven't read the book cast yet, but I, I, there is a, an analogy that I saw from it of like America being like an old house that, uh, you know, we're, we're living in and, uh, certainly read the book and, uh, and, or find this thing that I'm paraphrasing, but the idea that some people who are not acknowledging that there are, you know, <laughs> that there's mold or whatever the problems with a house are that you have to address when you're living in it because we're all living in the house even if we didn't build the house it we it's right. good to maintain the house and help help all the all the parts and all the inhabitants of the house uh to establish some kind of uh i just i it doesn't make sense to just uh go back to equilibrium but uh but i did so no yeah yeah that makes uh great sense i mean it, yeah what what you're referencing with like systemic racism for example okay, you weren't alive when it started, but neither were the people who are now affected by it. You know, so yeah. like you say, we're all in the same house and at the risk of uh, be, you know, coming across as a huge, huge douche, I'm going to reference a, a, a Radiohead video, um, which they've made this video um, uh, called House of Cards, the first song called House of Cards, and they shot it with... Um, basically there was some sort of camera that some scientists were working on that they heard about that uh, can sort of quote unquote see, it's not seen necessarily visually, even though you watch it visually, um, basically um, energy that, that just sort of surrounds everything on earth. There's, there's just a sort of like really thin layer and I'm, I'm, I'm murdering what this actually is. There's an actual real scientific uh, explanation for this and I'm making it sound like aura, but uh it, there's this energy field basically that goes and surrounds everything. And so they sort of filmed like streets and they filmed Mr. Tom York uh, singing the song, but you're not actually seeing them, even though because the energy sort of goes around these shapes, it looks like the shape. So it looks like a, mm. a house. It looks like a, a telephone pole. It looks like Tom York's face, but it, I mean, it's, it's grainy and it looks weird, but you can still say, okay, that's, that's this person, but it's everywhere. It's all over everything. And so, there's this this energy field, for example, that exists, you know, beyond sort of human sight that that intertwines and interacts with everything without our our knowledge, and and basically is uh, just as unaware of you know sort of like the human experience and what we care about and what we think is important as we are of it, and you know it's just it's just energy coming in and energy going out, and um, you know, similarly, it's like we put so much weight on what we think uh, is is valuable when in like the long run, um, it is very nihilist, but uh, it, it, it's, it goes so far beyond um, us and our ways of thinking, you know, the Earth's existence, the universe's existence. I did grad school for uh, creative writing because I wanted to live on food stamps forever. And I had a 
um, a, a fellow classmate that wrote a book of poetry called uh, One Day There Will Be Nothing to Show That We Were Ever Here, you know, mm. very sort of atheist uh, book of poetry. But, um, you know, you think about, I mean, who knows what civilizations could have existed or whatever or will exist or whatever that uh, there will be literally no proof of because, you know, the earth and the universe is so old and our concept of time is just so, 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 so small. And so, you know, even going into that level, it's, it's above and beyond what we can, you know, our, our most dramatic, uh, you know, storming of the Capitol um, is very insignificant in the long run, as much as it is very significant in the moment and matters a lot in the moment, but it's, uh, this is one of those, uh, you know, academic, um, well, well, we'll call it from my perspective, uh, or for, coming from me, very, very at best quasi-academic conversation that I haven't had the luxury of having um, for, for many years. Um, it's an enjoyable thing that you get to do when you uh, can take out lots of student loans and go to too much school, but it's fun. Sure. I mean, I think... Uh... The, for your 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 buddy the atheist poet yes who wrote uh you know it the idea of ex, like you of course like it may be so that uh at some point in the like right now like right now there's probably there's things from the past that we don't know about people whose lives right. happened and mattered to them in the moment and mattered to other people for perhaps a long time and we don't know there might be alien civilizations all over the universe that we don't have specific access to what their experience is like now. And so, you know, uh, I say lovingly to that guy's thesis, you know, so what? <laughs> and, and like, because here we are now, like right, right. now, <laughs> we are here and life exists, and it matters. And if we if we have the capacity to like, I, I've been learning a lot about Buddhism recently and the, essentially the, the thing that's, that Buddhists say are that, that, that is true of all people, all beings, all sentient beings is that we are all striving to increase happiness and decrease suffering, like for ourselves first, uh, perhaps, and for our, our families, our group, our community, our, you know, and then hopefully outward and outward more and more like the, the Buddhist goal of enlightenment is to become enlightened so that you can also help other people uh, become enlightened, which involves decreasing suffering and increasing happiness. And of course, not everyone has uh, the exact, we, we don't have, until you are a Buddha, you don't necessarily know exactly the things that will lead you to happiness. In fact, uh, you might have it backwards some of the time. And, and this is all to say, like, I, I, I mean, I want, I want your atheist poet buddy to be happy. I, I want, yeah. I want everyone to learn and grow and, uh, become as, as happy and suffering free and and joyful and you know and want to help and express care uh when, like when you have it like this one maybe one final thing uh about this there my girlfriend introduced me to this uh spiritual text called a course in miracles and one of the things in it expresses an, an idea that also sort of goes along with the concept of equilibrium that uh every action that anyone takes in life is either 
a call for love or an offering of love. And an offering of love is uh, much easier to spot, I would say. Like, like oh, yep. that's a, they did a loving thing. They, you know, helped me. They said something kind. They, whatever, you know, you know, loving things. Uh, you might be familiar. And um, I've heard about it. And then other times, everything else is, uh, sometimes it might be an explicit, like, call for love. Like, help me. Will you help me with something? And then other times, even somebody, like, being angry, saying something unkind. Like, that is at the root uh, in this paradigm a call for love. They are doing that because I, I can only speak for myself. When I haven't had enough food or sleep or water, it's very important to hydrate. Uh, and when I have, when I'm not, you know, when I'm not as cared for, like you as a parent, perhaps who know you know how you are, like on the amount of sleep that you are now compared to before, like that. When we are not, when we don't receive all the care that is important for us physically. Uh, mentally, emotionally, uh, in all the ways, then we are not necessarily at our best. Like I uh, will sometimes be crankier when, and, and my girlfriend might be like, when is the last time you've eaten? And I'll be like, it's not about that. And then I'll eat and I'll be like, it was a little about that. <laughs> and uh, there's a, a scene from the movie, The Night Before, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting two Santas. Uh, I, I remember this. It's so funny. And they're like, I think he's like talking about the things that are bothering him or, or, or he's like, this is about Christmas and something, you know, your guys are and they're like, I feel like maybe this is about something else. And then he's like, it's about this and only this. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's just so beautiful. But the idea that it, it's not necessarily, you know, for everyone who's calling for love, for people who are doing so, you know, uh, meanly, unkindly, violently, ignorantly, uh, it's not necessarily everyone's job like you know if you're if you are being harmed by somebody it's not your job uh, or task necessarily to stand there and be like oh i understand that this harm is coming from a call for love they and that it's my job to express that love and offer that care right now you can express love and care for yourself and get out of there and get away from there and then intellectually understand it from from afar that everyone who is being unkind was a baby and everything that happened to them uh naturally naturally like may it made every step of the way they became who they are in a series of choices or not choices that made sense that followed logically you know like like all the molecules in the universe like all the stars in astrology and uh and so that is something that now that we have now that we know all that like then what do we do even if if nothing they there's a I used to love uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a scene in an Angel episode where he'd spent the whole his whole the whole season kind of like ignoring individual people who needed help because he was going after the big bad guy. He was yeah. like, which was like all evil. He was trying to get to the the evil's home dimension, and and he's like, that could just you know it'll stop it from the top, and then it'll all everybody will be helped, and then uh, ultimately that didn't work and he came back and he's like oh, i had an epiphany and like all his friends are mad at him because they weren't but he was talking to one friend and they were like what was your epiphany and he's like i it's that if nothing we do matters then all that matters is what we do so uh the idea of if we have love to give if we have money to give if we have time to give if we have attention to give like i 
nobody, I, I'm certainly not asking anybody to give more than they have to, you know, give, give what you can give what you can afford so that there is some sort of, you know, hopeful, uh, hopeful balance, hopeful equilibrium between what is going out and what is coming in. Yes. And sometimes, um, you know, where you give things and how much you give again with the equilibrium scenario, you got to give, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always going to bring this back to, you know, my immediate, um, uh, sort of atmosphere, um, sure. with, with these, all these many, many, many children is, you know, some of, some of the kids need more from me than others do at a given time. And it's, those scales are going to go up and down and up and down and shift sort of like a, you know, uh, like you're listening to, to music and you've got the different scales and the treble and the bass and everything going up and down. And I, I love, uh, I love that idea. And especially, you know, not to make it uh, let's all come together and hold hands, uh, sort of a statement, but I mean, boy, oh boy, have we, um, gotten away from that concept as a, as a society, um, you know, when, uh, compromise has, you know, became a, negative, you know, it gained a negative connotation politically. Um, that was a, a, a scary time for, uh, I think for the whole country, whether we sort of realize it or not, you know, people started saying, well, he compromised or she compromised. Um, I used to think that that was a positive, you know, being able to do a little bit of give and take with somebody. Hmm. Um, and now it's, it's just, we're digging heels in so hard that it's, you know, it's bubbling over and it's exploded over. And we uh, don't really care what happens because like you say, it's, you know, this whole idea of, uh, you know, angel going up after the, it was angel, right? Going after the big yes. bad, yeah. you know, uh, we forget, you know, you, you, you start ignoring the, the police officer that got crushed into the door or you, you know, a woman that got shot or, or whatever is happening because your ideology um, supersedes your, your idea of what the big bad guy is, uh, overshadows everybody that you're stepping on or ignoring or, or hurting on the way there, you know? Yeah. Uh, I would say two quick things. One, perhaps the, the quote big bad here is uncaringness. And, uh, I'll take, I, I want to gently push back against something that you said that I don't think that you even specifically mean, or I understand what you mean, but I think it's important to make this point that you said, uh, I think you were saying as a society, like we don't care about some things and or about what happens. Uh, and I think that that's not true of you and that's not true of me and you and me are the we that are here. So, and I do think that there are, there are people I think there's a lot of people who do care and there's certainly there's a lot of people who believe different things or are ignorant of certain things or are misguided in various ways like anyone who is harming other people which and I'm not I'm not pointing fingers elsewhere without saying like I have I have certain I am not a perfect unflawed uh, individual I have I'm still working on it I have certainly uh not uh, there are things that I, I wish I had gone differently in my own past, uh, though I have been very fortunate and I'm very grateful for like all that I have been 
given in in life all that has uh, happened because of you know where where and how i was born and treated and raised and then became but uh anyone at any point anyone who is harming someone whether it's even just like me being cranky with my girlfriend because i hadn't eaten there we we are ignorant in that moment we are when we are harming someone we are ignorant of the fact that that's not the best thing to do and that i think most reasonable people and most caring people and most compassionate people and even they say in buddhism that everyone has this soft spot uh that like from which sort of like caring comes but for some people it's sort of like armored up and walled off and painful uh the more the more pain you have received perhaps the more you know you weren't able to be fostered to having that soft spot like open up and be empathetic and and warm and cohesive and uh and so this is all to say uh we're 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 all ignorant of some things and that hopefully uh there are times when we can when 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 we know when we know love i, I this is here, here's the thing like i also uh i have certainly been risking sounding like a douche and uh and a cornball uh but uh, and especially the thing that you said uh i think you said like you know i'm not saying like we should all just like come together and hold hands like especially in this time uh of covid i think we should all come together and not hold hands That's but right. uh but the coming together the and the the sparks the finding you know uh, uh finding the common ground of caring uh with people and for people that is possible and does happen and can happen uh like that's that's something to be noted and fostered as much as we can. Agreed. And I I I should say, you know, I think to your point that I think every human being has love and care for the things that they love and care about. I you know, people on the yes. surface who on the surface appear to be or that for us it's easier to look at them and say okay, that person is pure evil. All they want to do is poison the water and murder children and whatever it's easier to just call them that every human being i think almost without exception even even people that have done the most heinous crimes in the world have had some level of compassion somewhere in their lives at some point and care for something or someone um sometimes it's very very hard to find there are a few people out there where you'd be hard pressed to discover it but the, those people do you know i feel like almost everybody has it and it's easy to just sort of blanket statement everybody. I think there are certainly circumstances, I think more often than not, when we are, um, you know, uh, grinding or cranky or mean spirited or whatever it is that we aren't necessarily setting out to be that way. We're not thinking, oh man, I'm gonna really give this person a, the one, two and make them feel terrible. Um, I think to your point, I think it's, you know, an ignorance doesn't make us, you know, not, it doesn't make us, it's so we're, we're not culpable anymore, but I don't think it's always intentional for sure. And we are ignorant to that moment. I also think that, um, you know, there are bigger events um, that happen where, you know, again, back to the whole angel uh, metaphor is we, 
we choose what we feel is a greater good at the expense of something else. And sometimes it's a conscious decision that we say, okay, this person's going to get hurt or this bad thing might happen. But if I don't do this, then so much more will happen that's bad. So I've got to do that and ignore those things. Or even I've got to do a bad thing to do a great thing. And sometimes those choices are conscious, I think. Um, so we can get what we want. And I, my hope is, is that most of the time, even if I vehemently disagree with the, the goal, um, I feel like most people believe that it's right um, when they go after things like that on the, you know, a big grandiose national scale. Um, however, um, you know, I, I feel like sometimes it, it can be as the result of uh, willful ignorance. It can be the result of like, you know, like, like all of us, it can be the result of upbringing. It can be the result of, you know, their microcosm, uh, of culture and associations and belief systems and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's more complicated than we want it to be, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that, uh, goodness wins out and that mm -hmm. people's sort of innate desire to, to do what is right wins out. It's just, man, it can get clouded and man, sometimes it feels like people, um, don't sort of, aren't really worried about who gets stepped on on the way up. And sometimes I think that's not on purpose. Sometimes I think it is. And, you know, it's sort of assessing the situation. It's more complicated and more individual than I think I oh, want yeah. it to be. Certainly. Um, it's just easier to be like, you know, those are stormtroopers and those are Jedi or those are whatever, whatever, you know, sci-fi reference you want to make. Um, sure. but it's wild right now for sure. Yeah. And, I wanna I wanna say a couple things. One is uh like it it feels better to me to not uh paint with a you know a hundred percent black and white, right, wrong, you know, binary brush to be like they are bad and I am good about anything mm -hmm. because we are even somebody who as you say is willfully ignorant, like they didn't choose to be born where they were and how they were. They didn't choose their upbringing. They didn't choose their circumstances right. up to a point. And those circumstances are what led them to the quote unquote willful ignorance that they would come to, which again is not to, you know, excuse harm done or just say, well, then what can we do? And become, you know, your atheist poet friend who <laughs> I wanna I wanna do sort of a, a flip side of that. Uh, I guess the flip side of an atheist poet, a spiritual prosist, um, and and say like so his extreme was like kind of ultimately I'm I'm being reductive and uh, and perhaps painting him with a broader brush than he would prefer, but uh, the idea that like ultimately so far in the future nothing matters like and what's happening now matters you know like so little compared to the grand scheme of things like so what even what even does it mean to matter. Uh, but the, on the flip side of things, like I don't want to get too kumbaya about everything. I want to get just the right amount of kumbaya in saying, like when I'm like, you know, there that everyone does have, like like you said, I think we agree, like everyone has the capacity at least, you know, to love someone or love yes. something, to be loved. Everyone, you know, there's some some children who grow up in situations where they receive almost no, you know, trappings of love, no, you know, uh, physical warmth or uh, enough food or touch, you know. And so 
in any individual situation, we could, if we zoom into it, like, I think hopefully understand what's happening. But I also don't want to say like, so every, because of all that, then also, you know, then it doesn't matter what we do. It matters what we do. It, you know, it, it, we, we're all hopefully striving to, and even the people who we, we disagree with, the people who we agree with, everyone is striving to increase happiness and decrease suffering. And I, I want to add just one last thing to hopefully offer some hope to your hope that uh, that quote goodwill went out. Uh, the idea that have you heard this? You know that joy shared is joy doubled, and sorrow shared is sorrow halved. So I think mathematically, like you know, if I if I'm like, hey, this is a great thing, and I share it with a friend, then we both have this great thing in our experience. And if I have something that's challenging in my in my life, and I share it with a friend, then it becomes less challenging. So. I think mathematically, uh, the more we share joy and the more we share and address sorrow and suffering and pain, then uh, that can hopefully move in the trajectory that we want it to. I couldn't have said it better. I think that's a, a fantastic place um, to leave things on a, on a level, equal playing field. <laughs> I, uh, I've truly and sincerely enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on this thing and talking about uh, all kinds of craziness um, and and a, a little bit about words. And uh, I've loved it, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, the same to you, my friend. Uh, I really appreciate the invite. Uh, and it's it's been great to get to know you in this way. Likewise.